Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and that through that word you have given us Christ himself. That he comes to dwell with us. That he comes to be with us. Evermore lead us and guide us that we would lay hold of this very Christ, this very Jesus who has come for us and come to us. That we might more and more be conformed and changed into his image and likeness throughout our days. This we do ask through that very same Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The one who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Or Jesus Christ is, is the same yesterday and today and forever. <laughs> Wrote it down wrong in my notes. But we hear these three verses. I think these three verses bring to us the reality of what is happening. We're being confronted with the ideas of pride and humility this day. We're being confronted with what it is that Christ has called us to be and do in this world. And yet, there's more to it than just simple good advice, wouldn't you say? Now we hear a phrase like the one who humbles himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. As I've been reflecting on this, I was just thinking of a few weeks ago when it was raining outside. Right before church got started, we were having a nice rainstorm and church got started and looked around and we didn't know where Nate and Rowan were. But it turned out that they were outside running with umbrellas to each car that came up and helping people come in so that they wouldn't so as soon as they got out of the car they had an umbrella to protect them from the rain no one asked them to do that they just simply did that they jumped up and saw a need and just started doing it and they probably never wanted me to mention that because it's embarrassing to get told to get to hear people praising you like that but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So he and Rowan did a good work that day. They did something good that wasn't expected to help others. That they were willing to get themselves good and wet if they needed to to help others get in a little bit drier. They weren't looking to themselves. They weren't looking at themselves, but were looking to others. The Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? And there is the one who humbles himself, is the one who is ultimately depending on the Lord. The Lord is your helper. What can man do? What can man do to me? What can man do to you? And even more, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We like to grab hold of that statement as this great doctrinal statement about the unchanging nature of who Jesus is. But think about that as a statement of faith, of pure and true faith. He is the same. That means he acts the same. He does the same. He responds the same. 
He gave promises yesterday. He is fulfilling them today and he will bring them to consummation in the forever time of eternity. The Lord is my helper yesterday, today, and forever. What can man do to me? All of this comes together so much in these two simple parables that Jesus gives us today that are easy to, I think, misinterpret, that are easy to just simply look at the good wisdom because it is good wisdom that's given. Jesus gives good wisdom in these statements. In fact, especially if you go read the book of Proverbs, you're going to hear many of the same things that Jesus tells us here in this parable. If you just read through the Old Testament, you're going to hear so many of the same themes of humility and pride, of caring for the needy, of caring for the blind, of caring for the lame, of caring for the poor. They're throughout the Old Testament and Jesus brings them to bear at this feast that He is at. And the first thing that we're going to see drawn out of this is this seeking of high places. You see, the Pharisees were experts at seeking high places. You remember over in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking about how they put on shows, how they behave outwardly, but inwardly are not near to God. They like for people to see them and the things that they do and to praise them for that. But inwardly, they don't have a heart turned toward God. Inwardly, they do not have a heart that can receive who God is. And we see that even as early as verse 1. When on the Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, and they were watching Him carefully. They were watching Him. And they're seeking of high places. They see this man, Jesus, and they see Him rising up. Him being praised. Him being sought after. And not them. And so here is Jesus in this house, in this ruler of the Pharisees, and they are all there watching Him carefully. That particular word there in the Greek is used many times in the Gospels. It's not used a huge amount of times throughout Scripture, but in the Gospels it gets used quite a few times, and every time it's always in these kinds of situations. This watchfulness, this plotting, this planning, this careful observation. Then it's a watching with ill intent toward Jesus in every case. It's always the Pharisees who are sitting there and staring trying to think of a way that they can trick Jesus, a way that they can bring Him down, a way that they can overcome Him as they seek after their high places. And in the first half of this chapter that we bypass, Jesus heals a man with dropsy. He heals a man there on the Sabbath. And He asks them, is it lawful? after someone having asked Him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? After He asked them that, they remain silent. This man with dropsy, one of the things I was reading and listening to is pointing out, I was like, why would a man this ill be there at this feast of a Pharisee? They wouldn't have invited him just to be there as a guest. And that there's a sense of there's deception and trickery happening here in this text from the get-go that they are bringing in this man who is ill to see what Jesus will do, to see if He will again heal someone on the Sabbath because He's done that many times already, healing on the Sabbath. And so, they're seeking after high places and trying to bring Jesus down in that process, trying to trick Him 
into doing something wrong. But he just simply reminds them, which of you, having a son or an ox who fell in a hole, who fell in a well, would not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath? Granted, not every Pharisee would do that. Not every sect of Judaism would allow even the saving of a man out of a well on the Sabbath because they were so tied into the mere observation into trying to perfectly observe the rules in these very tight-knit fashions and to build up fences around the rules that God had given them, around the commandments and the law in order to avoid breaking the core of the law. But Jesus reminds them of the goodness of healing on the Sabbath, the goodness of doing good things on the Sabbath. Because after all, what did God do on the Sabbath? He blessed it. We don't often think of the act of blessing as an actual work of God, but it is. So even on the Sabbath day when God rested, He still acted. He still did a work. He blessed that day to make it a day of rest. He did a good thing. He did that which was necessary on the Sabbath to make it a day of rest, to bless it, to let it be a day for His people to gather, to find rest in Him ultimately, to find rest in Christ. But these Pharisees seek after high places. And so Jesus observes and He watches them and He tells a parable to them. A parable of seeking after high places because He sees them seeking after places of honor in the feast, places of honor around the table, trying to get to the right and good place, <coughs> rushing in to sit down at the feast. But Jesus tells them when you're invited, don't sit in a high place. Don't sit in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished, more important than you come in and the host have to tell you to move somewhere else. Instead, go sit in the low place first. And then you may be lifted up. You may be raised up to a new place, to a new standing, and thus be even more honored because the people saw you getting shifted from a low place to a high place. And that is a blessing. But see, they were seeking after these high places. They weren't considering humility. They weren't considering lowliness. They weren't considering letting someone else sit in a high place, letting someone else be more honored because they wanted the honor for themselves. And that's good advice, wouldn't you say? To sit there and go and be humble, to go and be in the low place in order to get lifted up. But see, that's where we can get mixed up. In the seeking of high places, we can turn around and still be seeking after high places by choosing the low place to begin with, saying, well, I know that I don't really belong here, but I'm going to go here so that I will get honored, so that I will get recognized, so that I will get lifted up to a new position in life. I'll take the lowly spot temporarily because I know that someone will come along and put me up higher, and then people will be like, oh, look how great he is. It's not humility to choose the low place out of pride. It's not humility to choose that low place in order to get lifted up to a new place. Pride is the exact opposite of humility. Humility is always a posture of reception. Humility is a posture that doesn't seek the high place. Humility is a posture that doesn't even seek after the low place. It just simply seeks and receives what is given to it. Pride being the opposite is the hands that reach and lay hold of and grab that which is not given. 
Pride doesn't allow faith to exist because faith is empty hands that simply receive. Pride always wants to fill those hands with what it wants. Like Adam and Eve reaching for that fruit, they take that which has not been given and don't wait on the Lord. They don't wait for the Lord to reveal to them what He is going to do. And so humility is the actual outward posture of faith. As these Pharisees were seeking after high places, they were putting to death humility and faith in themselves because they weren't being outwardly humble. Which true humility flows out of faith. Humility is faith in action. Faith and trust knows the promises and thus leaves the hands empty so that they can receive. So that you would be in a true position to receive that which is given by God. And that is how God works. And so when Jesus says that the one who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted, it's not an act that you are doing yourself. Except in the exalting of yourself. The one who exalts himself will be humbled by God. But the one who has humbled himself in love will be exalted by God. To seek after those high places is to seek after exaltation of yourself for yourself. But to simply take the low place is to enter into a place of humility, a posture of waiting, a posture of saying, God, do with me what you will. Act in the way that you desire. Do good to me as you will, and I will receive it. After confronting the Pharisees with their seeking of high places, Jesus then turns to the host and he looks at him and he gives him some advice as well about seeking reciprocal blessings, blessings that go back and forth. And Jesus said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner for, or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. It's easy for a host to simply invite his friends and family, the people he's comfortable with, knowing that they're going to invite him back, knowing that they're going to act in the same way and invite him to dinner and to care for him. But Jesus says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. As we're considering this little section of these reciprocal blessings, remember something about this phrase of what Jesus is saying. In one sense, he's saying, don't do X, do Y. But it's a Hebrew idiom. It's a very Hebraic way of saying things to bring out the bigger point. It puts everything in a sharp relief. Don't do this one thing. Instead, do this other thing. And it puts it in an extreme way without meaning for it to be absolutely never ever do this one thing and always forever do this other thing. The point of putting it into such a hyperbolic way is to bring a new kind of focus onto what you're doing, onto your actions. The people of his day would hear it in this way, not so much this one thing as doing this other thing. So slow down on this one thing and Start bringing in this other thing, for this other thing is where there is blessing. So it's not about 
ripping your focus away from inviting friends and family to dinner and only inviting the needy into your home. But it's a recognition of this is all you're doing. You need to lessen that and bring this in more, to do this more often, to bring in those who are around you that you don't always connect with and to let them enter into your life and let your life enter into them. And we know that it can't be that sharp, extreme relief of never inviting friends and having feasts with them because Jesus had feasts with his friends all the time. The Gospel of Luke shows him feasting and at dinner more times than any of the other Gospels. And so Jesus isn't against enjoying time with your friends and brothers and relatives. But he wants the host to recognize that he needs to shift away from so much of that, seeking after that reciprocal blessing from them, and to seek to give aid to the poor and the needy, to look to them, and to draw near to them. Again, great table advice. Look to helping others, not just to get blessing for yourself from others. Pour out yourself toward others. And again, that's based on humility. That's based on not exalting yourself, but being humble by opening yourself up to others. But again, we can get confused here, I think. It'd be very easy to turn around and see the wisdom, see that upper-level wisdom that's happening there of doing good deeds for others and make it all about the doing of those good deeds to make them become the object in and of themselves. Especially when Jesus concludes, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just, as though this good deed of caring for the poor and needy will earn your way into salvation, will earn your way into the resurrection of the just, will earn you extra payment and extra goodies at the end. It's the same mistake that we would make with the humility, that we humble in order that we can get exalted. Thus, we do this good deed of helping the poor in order that we get blessed, in order to get blessed not by them, but by God ultimately. And that's flipping everything over on its head and getting it wrong because, as with everything, these parables are ultimately about Jesus. They're ultimately about His work, about reminding us of what He is doing because we should see these through the light of what follows. Jesus goes on to tell the story of the great banquet, which I won't dig into. But he tells a story about a man who invites people who make up excuses and refuse to come. And so he sends out his servants to go and bring in a bunch of other people that he hadn't invited into his feast. And that is a parable about the great wedding banquet of the Lamb. The great, great wedding feast of the Lamb. And so I think with both of these parables with this buying for higher places, this seeking reciprocal blessings, that these are to be seen in light of that great feast, the feast of the Lamb. The feast where the Master goes out and brings people into Himself that weren't ever invited. He goes and invites them after the people He initially invited refuse to come. They refuse the goodness of this host. And so this host sought after others who would receive His goodness. And that is what God is doing in the here and now. He is drawing in people to Himself. He is calling people to Himself because He sent Jesus into this world to do the work that needed to be done. For who is the one who has truly humbled Himself and has been fully and completely exalted in all things? It is Jesus Himself, the Son of the living God, 
True God from true God. Light from light. He came down from heaven onto this earth and was born of the Virgin Mary. Became the perfect and ultimate servant. He became the suffering servant. He humbled Himself all the way to death upon the cross for the sake of others. Not in order to get exalted. He did it in order to bring glory to His Father and to bring salvation to others. He knew what would be accomplished through His work, as we heard at the beginning of Hebrews 12 a couple of weeks ago. That He endured the shame knowing the joy at the end. Knowing that His work was going to accomplish a great salvation for all the world. And so when Jesus says that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself, he will be exalted. It is about his life, death, and resurrection. That he is not the one who exalts himself, but he is the one who humbles himself ultimately for all of us so that we can then through him be humbled and then in him be exalted as he has been exalted. And what Christ has done, we will receive and be the benefactors of for he has bound himself up to us and it is by grace that this comes to each and every one of us that this salvation is poured upon us that as he calls us to be humble servants he has already been humble for us so that we can then live a humble life he is the one who has invited the poor the crippled the lame the blind into his own home for we are those people Spiritually, we are the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. We're the ones who are incapable of finding our way to the feast, who are incapable of doing anything. But yet Jesus comes and He brings us into the feast. He brings us into His wedding feast and makes us part of His bride. He makes us to partake in the goodness of what He has accomplished for our sake and then pours that very love that He has for us into us so that it can then be extended to those He places around us that He calls us into every area of our life to enact these very things that He has done, to lay hold of the grace that He has given to us. And that's where our prayer, our collect of the day comes in. O oh Lord, we pray that Your grace may always precede and follow after us, that we may continually be given to good works through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's grace must come upon us. It must come before us and it must come after us. Because it is all of His grace. And the ultimate way in which His grace has proceeded is in that sending of Jesus, the one who died while we were yet enemies. His grace has preceded us completely, wouldn't you say? Because none of us were alive when Christ walked this earth. None of us were alive when Jesus was here, and thus God's grace has always preceded us. It has always come before us and guided us. But even more, it always follows after us. It must always follow after us, for it is only by grace that we can live and walk in faith. It is only by the grace that continually follows after us and is poured upon us that we will have a living faith. Only with this following after us and even pursuing after us will we be changed into the people who can do the good works that He has called us to do. Everything that Jesus told us is to our shame if we don't have God's favor and grace. So yes, on the surface, there's good advice happening here. But if you're choosing the lower place to get exalted, then you've missed the point. If you choose the lower place in order to look humble, then you are acting out of pride and arrogance. 
If you're merely just trying to get blessed by God by reaching out to the poor and needy, then you are not a humble person. If you think that you only need God's grace merely to do good works that you think will earn your way into heaven, then you've missed the whole idea. Because if you need the grace to get started, then you need the grace to keep going. The favor keeps coming upon you, keeps renewing you, keeps changing you and transforming you and sending you more and more into those good works that Christ has accomplished on our behalf to begin with. To believe that you need God's grace is to have the attitude that you always need God's grace. It is to have the attitude that it is always God at work in you and God at work through you. And that's why it is that the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Because the one who is actually humbling himself is the one who is receiving God's grace over and over and over. And his humbling, and in that humbling, he sees fully that it is only by God's grace that any kind of exaltation comes. My humbling is not the basis of exaltation. But without that humbling that Christ brings upon me, Exaltation will never occur. And it will never occur without Jesus first humbling Himself. His humbling brings God's favor and His grace to us. His humbling is the reason that grace will always precede and follow after us. And so only, and so all the humbling is only through Jesus' humbling. Because my acting out of any kind of humility only flows from me first receiving the humbling work of Jesus Himself. If Jesus isn't received, then all of that humility that I could put forward, all those humbling acts are merely acts of pride. Pride that is hiding itself in the background to look good. And so I must always receive that grace. I must always receive this very Jesus who paved the path of humility. It's only by God humbling me that I can come in a humble way. It's only by drawing near, it's only by His drawing me near to Jesus who never changes, who cared and loved us, that He died in utter humiliation. So that true humility comes to each and every one of us. And that true humility doesn't lift me up, but it waits in patience. And it works in patience. And it acts in patience, knowing that it is God who has given me Jesus and it is God thus through Jesus who will bring the blessings upon me, who will bring the exaltation only through Christ himself. To chase after those exaltations is to lose the exaltation. But to sit in humility in that posture of waiting, in that posture of lifting your eyes to the cross, of lifting your eyes to Christ, seeing His humiliation is what will aid and fuel our humility in all that we do, that we will wait for the blessing of the Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.